Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Dan Schoenbaum, the managing partner at High Tide Advisors, a go-to market advisory firm that's worked with some of the most successful cybersecurity startups in the world. Dan, thanks for chatting with me today. Thanks for having me, Brett. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so before we dive in, do you want to start us off with a little bit more about your background? Sure. I have been in software for over 25 years now, and I, I feel like an old man when I say that, but I started my career in enterprise software and I've spent the last 15 years in cybersecurity. I love cyber. It's exciting. It's a problem that's never going to go away. And that problem, unfortunately, is here to stay. And so it's really been an exciting space for me. I knew I wanted to be a CEO early in my career, and I worked my way up and became a CEO. But I'm now focused on helping companies with go-to-market because when I was a CEO, The thing that I most enjoyed about running a company wasn't exactly running the entire company. It was figuring out what the right go-to-market was. So at High Tide Advisors, I, together with a couple of partners, help high-growth startups figure out the right go-to-market. And a lot of companies are great at building products, and they stumble at building the go-to-market. And that's where we come in and something that I have been doing a couple of years, and I love doing it. Very cool. And yeah, I've had the honor of knowing you now for almost a decade. And one part of your story that I'd love to just chat about briefly here is your time in the military. Could you walk us through that and tell us a bit more about that? Sure. There's really nothing that has impacted my life more than my experience in the military. And I grew up here in the U.S. and I actually visited Israel. So I'm an American citizen, but I had visited Israel growing up many, many times. And you can become a citizen there if you are Jewish. So I'd never really thought about becoming a citizen, but when I was in college, I read a book about an American who moves there and becomes a citizen and joins the military. And in this book, he was a paratrooper and he had to march 80 miles to get his Green Beret. And I never really thought about joining the military. It wasn't something I wanted to do. I'm just a person that loves challenges. And when you tell me I can't do something, I'm inspired to go figure out how to do it. I'm somebody that runs toward a problem, not away from it. And when I read in this book that he had to carry 50 pounds on his back and march 80 miles, something just clicked in my brain. And by the way, I couldn't put this book down. I started reading it at midnight and I I think I finished it at 5 a.m. By the time I finished this, you know, I'd gone through two pots of coffee. I flipped every page in the book and I just decided I want to learn a language that I don't speak. I want to follow in this person's footsteps and I want to prove that I can march 80 miles with 50 pounds on my back. And that's a challenge that is calling me. And I ended up doing that. I became a sniper in the paratroopers, the Israeli military. And I left after three years as a master sergeant and became completely fluent in one of the most challenging languages in the world, in my opinion. But more importantly, it taught me that there's no challenge in life that you can't overcome. I don't think I would have been the successful if I were able to get into Harvard or Yale. I don't think I would have achieved the success I have today. I think the discipline and the drive that I got from the military 
has taken me to where I am. And I think that's also the reason why there are so many successful companies coming out of a tiny little country like Israel, which is effectively the size of New Jersey. You know, that success largely comes from the discipline that comes out of military experience, which, you know, everybody goes through men and women at the age of 18. So for me, it was really a life altering experience that I carry with me every day. Fascinating. And what's the name of that book? You're going to leave us all on edge here trying to figure out what it is. (laughs) There are actually a handful of books. The one that I read is out of print largely. You can find it on Amazon. It's called A Purity of Arms. Mm -hmm. But there are actually more modern, more recent books. There's one called A Brotherhood of Warriors about the son of a famous Hollywood movie producer who had a lot of money, could have lived a cushy life, and actually went into a special forces unit I actually think that book is even better. I recommend them both if you could find them, but A Brotherhood of Warriors was published more recently and it's a phenomenal book. Amazing. I'll be sure to check that out. Let's dive right into our topic. You know, kind of hard to transition from that to product-led growth, but let's do it. So product-led growth is, of course, you know, a term that I think every startup founder and you know, marketing leader has heard of at this point. But I think you know, it's probably hard to really you know, define what exactly that means. So to start with, could you define product-led growth and maybe share an example of a company that's using it successfully? Yeah, absolutely. So I love talking about product-led growth. It's brought so much excitement and change to the industry. I guess I would describe it a couple of different ways. To me, it's really the antidote to the aggressive sales rep that's pounding the phone, dialing for dollars. Nobody wants to be the recipient of that. Nobody wants to take a cold call, talk to somebody you don't know. You know, it's the reason I haven't answered my phone if it's a number I don't recognize for at least the last decade. So what product-led growth is, it's really an end-user-focused model that relies on the product to drive your customer acquisition your conversion, and your expansion. And fundamentally with buyers today, there's a lack of trust, right? It's difficult to trust an aggressive salesperson. It's difficult to believe what you see in a demo. So what the product-led growth model does is it flips that model on its end and it puts the customer first. And it really allows an end user to start using a product, ideally without any restrictions or without many. And what I believe in when it comes to product-led growth is make it easy to start using your product, solve a problem that a potential customer has, and build trust with them. And some examples of products that many of us use every day that employ that model would be Zoom is a great one. You can use Zoom for, I think, up to, I believe it's for up to 30 minutes without many restrictions. Slack also embraces that model. And the one that has been, I think, one of the best ones has been Dropbox. Dropbox gamifies their product-led growth model. And the more you do to onboard and learn about that product, the more free storage you get. And, you know, I have money, I can afford Dropbox, but I went through every one of those steps because I wanted that free storage. And by the end of my onboarding experience, I'd been through the training to unlock more experience. I installed the mobile app. I invited people to it. I just think Dropbox is one of the best examples of product-led growth. So I guess just to summarize, to me, it's a much more modern way of going to market where you're not relying on a sales team, you're relying on the user, the end user, and not so much the buyer, but the actual end user 
to build that trust and excitement and really almost make them want to come to you to buy the product versus you convincing them to buy it. And I think, you know, any founder listening, that sounds like a dream come true. But how do they know if it's right for them? You know, is this something that every SaaS company should be doing? Or, you know, what are the steps they should walk through to determine if they should take a product-led growth approach to go their go-to-market? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, you know, there's some misconceptions in the industry. And I guess I'll just comment on cybersecurity. I've heard many times that product-led growth doesn't work with cybersecurity. I would say on the contrary, it does at a previous company. I worked together with the team there and we had over 100,000 users of a freemium model and we ended up driving $12 million in revenue. So I guess I just want to dispel that misconception that it doesn't work with cybersecurity. It does. But I guess to answer your broader question, is it for everybody? It's not necessarily for everybody. You know, there are some products that have really high cost of usage you know, business term being your COGS, cost of your goods overall. If your solution is really hard to deploy, think like an SAP-like solution, something that's very complex, it may not work for product-led growth. If your cloud costs are really high, getting back to COGS, and, you know, your cost of acquisition is going to become unmanageable, then a product-led growth model might not work for you. But I like to think creatively And for companies who say PLG isn't for us, I always push them and say, well, figure out a way around these challenges. Can you create a free assessment tool? Can you create a smaller version of your product? Or, you know, even a parallel product just to get your name and your brand out there. So it may not be for every product, but I think there's a way if you think creatively to make PLG right for every company. And I think if you're not thinking actively about strategies to deploy a product-led growth mechanism, you need to start doing so. That makes a lot of sense. And Dan, across all the different companies that you work with, what are some of those you know, misconceptions that you commonly hear and you know, what you hear people get wrong about PLG? In terms of what people get wrong about product-led growth, you know, the good news is more and more companies are experimenting with it. I'm actually seeing a dynamic where CEOs who may be first-time CEOs, they may be young, early companies. I'm seeing that they're getting pushed by investors to launch a PLG strategy. You know, I like that investors are pushing their companies to innovate and think out of the box. But you know, one of the challenges I've seen is the company is executing on a strategy that fundamentally they either don't believe in, don't understand, or it just hasn't been a original organic idea of their own, and they're not completely bought in. But companies that execute on that strategy in terms of some of the challenges that I see or common mistakes is that it's very typical to just make a demo available of your product for 30 days and consider that a product-led growth strategy. A demo account, a free demo, a sandbox, that's not a PLG strategy. PLG strategy is really something that needs to transcend your entire company And I think you need to think about breaking down walls and don't think about PLG is owned by a product manager or by our head of inside sales. I like to see companies that come together and form a growth team, which could be somebody who's, you know, able to run experiments, a product and an engineer team that could quickly innovate and test different things. So common challenges, throw a demo out there and hope that it works and that doesn't work. And the response is, you have to bring a team together and build a solution really from the ground up oriented around 
building trust with that user and solving a problem. I think two other things that companies commonly get wrong. One is that they will put something out there and quickly get frustrated that the funnel isn't developing. You know, you need a parallel strategy and product-led growth to drive people into your funnel. So you have a free version of your product out there. It needs to provide quick and easy value, but how are people going to know about it? And it's a different approach to marketing, but you really need to have advocates out in public forums that drive people into your product-led growth experience. And so if you're deploying a product-led growth solution, but aren't also executing a plan to drive people into it and measure which channels are working, it's really not going to be effective. And I think the last thing companies commonly get wrong is that they try to convert product-led growth users or people who are going through the experience way too early. And you know, typically, it's sales is ready to pounce. They see a lead, they see people in a trial, and they immediately call them, email them. I actually like to be extremely conservative when it comes to sales interaction. And I actually like to try to keep inside salespeople or direct salespeople out of the equation as long as possible. And I've even gone as far as having people change their titles. So instead of reaching out and saying, hey, I'm Dan, I'm from the sales team. It's, hey, I'm Dan, I'm a product expert. And instead of trying to sell to somebody, just ask if they have a question or offer to help them, you know, on board. And so, you know, I think getting too aggressive too early and trying to convert usually backfires. And the PLG model is all about building trust, letting people solve problems and see value and ideally let them come to you. That makes a lot of sense. And I know PLG is, you know, complex, so it's probably hard to distill this down into, you know, one piece of advice. But if you could only offer one piece of advice to a founder, you know, considering a PLG approach, what would that number one piece of advice be? Maybe going back to my military analogy, I kind of think of PLG as your basic training, right? I think the right approach is to use PLG as an opportunity to become lean and mean, to become agile as an organization. And so what does that mean? You know, if you're going to become agile, it means you constantly test and improve your product, right? New features, get them out there quickly, measure the conversion rate, the usage, build the product, or even if you have to rebuild parts of it for rapid onboarding, constantly try to remove friction from the product. And really, I think the other piece of advice is just trust your prospects, be generous with them, let them use the product for as long as they want. You know, don't try to convert. And I believe that it will pay dividends. But overall, I think the best PLG initiatives are ones that are company-wide. It's not just a product management initiative or a marketing initiative. It's everybody coming together and just learn to be agile, move quickly, and use it as an opportunity to just become a more effective organization. Amazing. And Dan, to wrap up here with one final question, you know, what's the future of all this? What's the future of product-led growth? Is it the future of how SaaS companies go to market? Do you think it's going to become you know, an overused and abused tactic? What are your thoughts there on you know, what the future looks like? Yeah, that's a great question. And I have no crystal ball on my desk here, but I have a lot of experience in the space. And I think one question a lot of people have is, does this mean the end of enterprise sales teams do sales teams go away? Do they get reduced in size? And the answer to that question is no. Salespeople will always be needed. There's always a role here. And PLG is not for every organization. I actually think it's highly complimentary to having a sales team, a lead 
coming to a salesperson who has been using the product typically results in a faster, better, easier conversation. So thinking about your question, PLG is here to stay. It's not going away. It's a model that enables companies to build their brand, get much more exposure to the market and build trust. And there's no sales demo or proof of concept that will ever be as effective as letting an end user put their hands on a product and feel like they're in command and at the controls. And so PLG, like I said, is here to stay. And I think industries that aren't leveraging it yet today are going to adapt and figure out what it means for them. Like For instance, the other day, I had a conversation with a company that's an online mortgage broker, and they really believe in PLG, and nobody in their space is actually using product-led growth. They wanted to innovate and figure out what PLG model might work for them. And I love that conversation because there's no simple or easy answer. But the fact that less traditional companies are exploring it means that more and more companies are understanding it. They want to embrace it and leverage it as not just a go-to-market model, but a way of building their business. And so I'm excited about conversations like that. And it just reinforces the fact that PLG is here to stay. Amazing. Well, Dan, I think that's all we're going to have time for today. If people want to get in touch with you and you have your support with product-led growth and just go to market in general, where's the best place for them to go? I love writing about product-led growth. That's actually how my consultancy started. I started writing articles on Medium, and you can just search my name on Medium. And I have many articles there on go-to-market, product-led growth strategies. And I'm told by people that they learn a lot from those articles. So that's a good place to start. You can reach me also on my website at www.hightide-advisors.com where I have a lot of content there and more information, as well as some case studies of companies that I've worked with. But I love having conversations with founders and people that are considering PLG and even just to be a sounding board. So uh, feel free to reach out if you have any questions. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Dan. Really appreciate your time here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brett. This was fun. All right, talk to you soon. See ya.